Racial Equity in Richmond, the web series for the racial equity uh, essays, Richmond Racial Equity Essays that we're doing, um, which is we're asking Richmonders from all walks of life from different sectors, what is their vision for racial equity in Richmond and how exactly from their perspective do we get here? So I have two ladies here today that have joined us. Thank you all so much for uh, your time and your wisdom. I've known you both for quite some time now. And uh, we were just saying that when I think of one, I think of the other, sisters from another mother we were talking about early, but so glad to have you here today, um, taking your time. Before we get started deep into these heavy questions that I've given folks, why don't you just take a minute or so, your name, uh, where you're from originally, how long you lived in Richmond, and what is it that you do in the daytime? Um, hi, Ebony, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm Greta Harris. I am uh, a native of Danville, Virginia. I haven't lived there in a long time, but it was a great place to grow up. And uh, I've lived in a few places around the country and moved to Richmond in 1992. So I'm a relative newcomer uh, to the region. And uh, I have the pleasure of serving as the president of the Better Housing Coalition um, that does affordable housing development and management here in Central Virginia. Wonderful. What about you, Laura? So I'm Laura Lafayette. I, um, I'm one of those rare breeds. I'm a native. So um, I'll tell you how old I am to tell you how many years I've been here. I've been here almost 56 years. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's starting to pay off a little bit. Um, I am the CEO of the Richmond Association Realtors and the Central Virginia Regional MLS, and we represent and support the 7,000 Realtors who call Central Virginia home. Wonderful. So I know you ladies from my time at Virginia Lisk um, in the housing arena, the community development arena, of course. Um, you, I, you both are uh, big names and have a good amount of influence um, in that arena. Um, for our region. So you all just said you have years or decades of time in Richmond, lots of experience. Can you kind of tell us how we got started for you? Is there a pivotal moment or experience that kind of led you to the current work or uh, the initiatives that you were involved in, particularly as it relates to housing in Richmond? So I mentioned that I work for Realtors. Um, and they have given me the great um, opportunity to spend a good deal of my days working with people like Greta on lots of folks in the nonprofit sector, but really kind of working on the issues of justice and equity. And I would like to think we've been working on them long before some of those words became buzzwords. Um, and for me, it wasn't, it's not, but when my father was born in South Richmond and when they brought him home, they put him in a drawer of a Chester bureau because that's all they had. There was no cradle. And I could go on and on about the poverty in which he grew up. But when I think about his circumstances and then as we brought our three children into the world and I thought about their circumstances, 
you know, no one merits the circumstances in which they're born. And if my children did nothing to merit the really um, wonderful circumstances in which they were born, neither does any other child born in Richmond today. And so I want every child, no matter the circumstances of their birth, live in an environment where they have a chance to thrive. And I really feel like that's our obligation day in and day out to get up and say, okay, what does a chance for a child to thrive look like? Wonderful. You're breaking up a little bit, Laura, too. Sorry. Uh, but, but go ahead, Greta. What's your, what's your moment? So not too dissimilar to Laura. I think that's why we get along so well. Um, it's the influence of our family heritage that not just unique to us, but I think our family helps to shape who we are as individuals and what our values are. And um, over my shoulder is a campaign poster of my dad mm. um, who was the first black elected to city council in Danville our hometown, um, which was indeed the last Confederate capital of the South. Um, and he became Danville's first black mayor as well. Mm. And my mom um, was a principal uh, after integration uh, in the most prominent white elementary school and 60% of parents pull their kids out of the school rather than to have their kids go um, to school with uh, young black children. And so that was the household that I grew up in. Um, and uh, my parents came from very modest means as well. Um, but even their parents told them the responsibility that goes along with opportunity to give back. And so uh, they did. Um, they were very active in the civil rights movement that was happening in Richmond. And so um, I think those experiences for me and my sisters uh, when we were growing up has certainly shaped my values and the importance of social justice. And while Laura and I are certainly um, uh, hustling around Central Virginia to make it easier uh, to do quality affordable housing for modest income households, um, the motivation, I believe, for both of us is around social justice. And um, so it's not just the housing. It's really, uh, Laura says, to, to, so that every child can thrive. I think so everyone can be joyful and just be their best selves. I think that's what we're shooting for. Lovely. And I'll throw uh, a curveball in my question only because I have y'all here. So y'all have been doing this work for a long time. Laura, I mean, Greta, you got here in 1992. Is that 28 years ago? Yeah. So oh about that God, time. I haven't had enough coffee to figure that out. <laughs> Laura, you've lived here your whole life, which is double that time. Just quickly, like, what do you feel like? And this is an interesting moment in our nation, right? In our city. I don't know. Like, how do you, how has Richmond changed, I guess, from kind of when you got here, Greta, to now? What do you feel the biggest change has been in over the course of your life? You don't have to take a whole lot of time, but I feel like you all have such a, a long perspective that it, I would be remiss if I didn't kind of pull that out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of good stuff going on in our region. And, you know, for the last, I guess, uh, 
20 years, I guess at 2000, I was still working at LISC as well too, but I was at the national level. And even though I lived in Richmond, I was gone all the time. So I missed a decade. Mm. And when I changed jobs eight years ago and joined Better Housing Coalition, it was a new Richmond, new Richmond. I mean, just all sorts of new people here, new investments, very vibrant. And I was super excited to be a part, uh, to, to integrate myself back into civic leadership. But then some of the things that have always been um, a weakness of our community still existed. So the generational poverty, the lack of uh, uh, full opportunity access, um, those things unfortunately haven't changed. And as we're going through this real estate boom right now, and uh, we talked about gentrification back in the early 90s, but it really wasn't happening. It's happening now. And so it's as a community, we have to lift up our values on what's really important because we can steamroller ahead and be like Austin and Portland and Seattle and San Francisco. And we're going to blink and we're going to be all white, all middle and upper income and the heritage and the, the essence of who we are as a community will be lost because we would have pushed out uh, being an inclusive community and people won't be able to afford to live here. And what a loss that will mm. be if that happens. But it has to be in, intentional value lifting, values lifting that is going to prevent that from happening and to ensure that we can be welcoming for everyone. Lovely. We're going to hold that thought because that's some good stuff that you threw out there. Laura, what are the things that you've seen change um, over your time in Richmond and particularly your time working in housing and community development? Well, we're profoundly more uh, ethnically diverse, particularly in the suburbs. I mean, when I was growing up, there was very diversity. I mean, people were black or white. I remember a, a kid ran for student body president and his name was Goldberg. And I, we had no idea he was I mean, that's how sheltered and kind of myopic, um, you know, we were. But if you look at the suburbs today, we're profoundly more diverse. And I think we are more welcoming, but we can do better. I also believe that I grew up in a top-down town. You know, there was a small group of white men who ran the show. Mm. And while they may have provided um, people of color with token political power, uh, like in a, a, a mayor who had really very little power back in the day, um, that I think has changed. I, for, you know, you, I don't think top down works in this town. I think there's some reasons of, don't engage the community. And if you don't listen to a variety of voices, you're not going to get sufficient buy-in to move public policy. So I, I think that's a bit of a sea change. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes Greta and I are on the receiving end of community engagement. We probably rather not here, like <laughs> NIMBYs, like not in my backyard. But generally, I, we are a more small d democratic community, more inclusive. Uh, there are more people at the table. We're not satisfied with, I think, tokenism at the so all, all of that is important. 
way to go. All right, thank you. Um, so we're gonna jump in and you all begin to hit on this, but uh, thank you for kind of reflecting on what you've seen and in, in the changes. Richmond have certainly changed a lot. I've been here for seven years and it seems almost like a different place than it was seven years ago and lived in Virginia for 18. So I lived in Charlottesville and was coming here and it's, it feels completely different than when I started to, to come over here then. But what are the, from your perspective, what are the, one or two of the biggest inequities that you uh, are seeing in Richmond, particularly from your field of work, but kind of in general? Well, I, I think you can drive through metropolitan Richmond and the it's startling or stark how some communities have tremendous investment and other communities have very little. I mean, whether it's infrastructure, you know, whether it's um, treescape, green spaces, whether it's, you know, retail that folks need, such as grocery stores, or even think about broadband, which has really come to light in the last year and a half. And it's, you just got to drive through some neighborhoods and it's stark. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And the other thing, of course, because of the housing work that we care about, the racial wealth gap is real. And unfortunately, it's grown, not contracted. And if you, if you adjust for everything else, it really comes down to do folks have an opportunity for home ownership at the right point in their lives? And we've got to crack that nut. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, my uh, perception is more fundamental, even though there are lots of good people um, in our community, lots and lots of good people. I think people still value people who are different from them at a lesser level. Mm. That has been the history of our country from the get-go, that if you weren't European, um, you had less value from Native Americans to enslaved Africans to Asian workers and laborers that came here and currently, uh, you know, our um, Latino um, brothers and sisters who are trying to get here into this country. And there is a misperception around um, how great our country is. Because I love being in this country. I love America. I do. And I love the founding ideals that we were created upon but have yet to ever fully execute. And even though we are very different than at our, the time of our founding, some of those deficits of valuing every human being still exists, I believe. And that is the basis by which there's a lack of investment in certain neighborhoods or the lack of opportunity access. Um, and, and I think the other piece is, though, even though we have good people, we are still too myopic as a species. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried about me and my family. Mm -hmm. And I know other stuff is going on over there, but I'm just focused on trying to make sure we're good. And uh, I think if everybody is willing to reach out and help on only just one person, that starts this catalytic effect of of making everybody's life a little bit better. And we aren't there yet fully. 
And I would just add that, and I don't know how this happened, but somewhere along the way, I think particularly in our politics, we've inculcated a culture of scarcity rather than abundance. Mm -hmm. And of course, politics, I believe, has exacerbated that. And to Greta's point about people focused on themselves and their family, well, if we would begin with the premise that we live in a country of abundance, then maybe we could get past some of this fear or this kind of zero sum game mentality in order for you to get yours, I'm gonna somehow be harmed. Because that is absolutely a false narrative and it's a false dichotomy. And we have got to rail against those who want to take us down a path of scarcity when we live in abundance, it's a question of how we uh, enable people to participate in that abundance. Yeah, I love that. I just had uh, finished reading The Some of Us. Have you all heard of that book? And it's just about kind of, I guess, dispelling this notion of the zero sum, particularly as it relates to race. And I think that's, that's really kind of the underpinning of it all, right? And so if this group's does well, that means that it's taking something away from me. And there's right. this, this fear baked into, and one of the examples, which I thought was just so crazy in the book, it was like, what ends up happening is because I don't want that group to prosper, I'll actually go without. And it, 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 and it ends up hurting us all in, in the long run, right? And so instead of integrating pools, we're gonna drain them. So nobody has pools, right? Um, yeah, it's great. It's the same thing like uh, the book of What's Wrong with Kansas, mm. where, where people would vote against their own self-interest. Um, but but I think this is driven around political control. Mm. And so the narrative is being shaped in order to either get back in control or to preserve control of power. Uh, it's really a power play. And, and honestly, you know, having travel all around this country in some of the poorest communities around uh, America and also had the opportunity to travel around the world. We are more alike than we are different. And, you know, from a genetics perspective, we're 99% alike um, as a species. And it's only the 1% that changes the melatonin, uh, you know, color of our skin, the texture of our hair, the color of our eyes, the shape of our nose and lips. And we tend as a country or as a species to focus on the 1% rather than the 99%. That's our starting point. We, we all want our families to be safe. We all want to maybe have um, opportunities to contribute to making the world a little bit better. Um, we all want to be loved. And, and so those are universal traits that we share. And if we focused on that, you know, we, we, we could do so much better. We could do so much better than looking at the, the small amount of differences that we have. Yeah, so let's transition a bit and talk about this kind of this idea, which I think is a, a beautiful vision that you've set out, Greta. And in one sentence, maybe two, you don't have to fit it all in there. If you were to say, my vision for racial equity in Richmond is X, what would you say? I mean, and, and at its most fundamental point, I just want everybody to think that they have a level playing field in front of them and their, their present doesn't dictate their future. And they believe 
that the the future is bright. That that's what I would wish for everyone. And I think there are way too many of our neighbors that don't feel that at all. Mm. Um, and I I think if you believe it, um, that gives you fuel for your faith walk that we all have to do to step out on faith sometimes and, and believe that the future can be brighter than the present. Got you. So this fundamental is going to shift in, in belief that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I would say something very similar. I tend to say that the circumstances of one's birth should not set irrevocably the trajectory of one's life. And it is this notion that there's opportunity and that, but that's, again, we have to go, we have to create that environment we can't just blithely say everyone should have opportunity. I've never run into anyone who doesn't, if you say, shouldn't a child have an opportunity to for success or doesn't everyone have a right to a choice in their life about where they live and what they do for a living, et cetera, et cetera. You, you're going to get agreement, but then we have to get down to the nuts and bolts of, well, how do we create safe streets and affordable, sustainable housing? And why do we have vast inequities in our public education system? I mean, that is, I mean, if we don't figure that out, then we are just cheating generations of children. And then how do we create pathways to good wages? And then, you know, where I live should not dictate whether I can get healthy food or access to health care. Um, so it's, it's really creating those kind of building those fundamental blocks so people do have an opportunity. And we're just not, you know, lip syncing on that. We're actually trying to get the work done. And, um, and it's hard work. And Greta and I have talked a lot about this. It's hard work. It requires an attention span that lots of folks don't have. The long game. Yeah, the long game. And it requires, you know, a commitment of profound resources, but resources that we have yeah. if we have the will to bring them. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, you know, having worked around the country, there are places without resources. We are not that. We have resources. It's really the political will to do things. And, to, and, and, and also, I would say we need to lift up our values. And that sounds hokey. But let me just give you a quick example. Talking to a corporation, they um, have lots of different land holdings and they sent me. I've been banging on them for a while trying to get land. That's what I need to develop housing. And they sent me a parcel that they may donate to us, 20 acres, which sounds great, right beside a landfill Mm. for affordable housing. Mm. Um, So we aren't going to take that. Um, but, But I mean, that's what people think that that's good enough, yeah. that's good, good enough for modest income households. And it's not, um, Laura and I worked on another development together in a great location and the pushback that we had to, um, experience, uh, with comments like we don't want public housing in our neighborhood. Um, you're going to bring down our property values. You're going to bring drug dealers and prostitutes to our community. Our children are going to be at risk. This was a senior affordable housing development that we were doing. Almost $40 million, almost $40 million development that got scuttled because of those attitudes. And so 
that's why the values are so important. When things are going well and everything is smooth sailing, values are important to have, but not as important as when things are tough. And when you're having conversations like, can someone who looks differently than you be your neighbor? Then that's when we have to lead with our values. And I think we're sort of falling short on that. I know we can do better. Mm, I love what y'all saying because I'm, I'm piecing this together of like, not only the internal, so there's the internal belief that oper- that I can have a good life or a better life, right? And, and what you were saying, Laura, was internal belief is good, but we have to have opportunities and to remove the barriers to that for, for those two things to come together, right? So you can have internal belief, but the world is blocking you. So we need to have those two things. And then when I hear you saying that the outside community also needs to value those things, right? That those three things, you know, can come together. Because if you, you know, you have the internal belief and then we've removed opportunities, but then the larger community has created this, this other obstacle, you still kind of can't get things, things done, particularly as it relates to these kind of larger, either larger housing developments or public policies that really would, that are for the, the broader public good that particular people are perceiving would detract from their life, livelihood, and reality that benefits others. Yeah. I mean, after going through a global pandemic and an economic shutdown and then racial protest and political shenanigans, I think there's more awareness today than ever before um, about the need for safe shelter for everyone across Mm -hmm. the socioeconomic spectrum. And, and, and more and more people across different sectors are saying, yes, I'm supportive of affordable housing until it comes into my neighborhood. And then I lose my mind. I lose my mind. Um, and I think, and Laura and I have talked about this over and over again. I, we try to give people the benefit of the doubt that it's fear. You know, it, it's, it's ignorance and fear. You know, you don't know what you don't know and you fear what you aren't familiar with. But then honestly, given the subject matter of this podcast, it's really about race too. And, and everything in this country is about race. Um, and, and we have to be willing to talk about it candidly and honestly. Um, that, and, and I think race drives fear. Um, because we've still, even though we have an integrated society, a lot of aspects of our living are still segregated. And so our circles of friends and associates look more like us for mm-hmm. most people or for many people, rather than, you know, I have a smorgasbord of friends. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a little wacky. Uh, I'm looking at one right now. included. <laughs> But we, I love that. Um, it's just like if you looked at my playlist on my iPhone, it's very eclectic. So are my friends. And, and we don't always agree. And that's a good thing. Um, and, but we are respectful. We are civil. And we love each other. And we love this community. And we work really hard to try to make this community better for all. You know, that's what I, I was thinking about is if we could all just think about how can we be better neighbors, but also how do you like grab and maintain the joy that Greta was just expressing, the joy of the Mm. fact that we're different. 
and that we can be curious and energized and and find and that great thing. pleasure in that uh, that diversity. And uh, you know, you can't. That's not a public policy, and it's not it's something you can dictate. But I, I think we're raising generations who are better at that than us. I hope. I mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the younger part of- generation oh. is 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 I think much more open to that. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's uh I, what I appreciate about this particular generation is not only are they open, but I think they're more informed, right, about the reality of race and racism and, and kind of all the isms. And I think that's a great combination because I think that even my generation and before, probably after the seventies to to kind of maybe. 90s, early 2000s, we thought we were doing so good that we kind of lost sight of the reality, what was happening and kind of what I appreciate about this generation. Like when I'm talking to my niece, she just graduated high school. Not only does she have this openness, inclusiveness, but she also understands the reality of what we're, what we're dealing with and up or against. So it's, it's not this Pollyanna issue of like, we've come a long way, we have a long way to go and lots of folks need to be included. Uh, so we're coming up on the on our half hour mark, but want to ask y'all the last question. So you all work in housing and community development, have for a while. If you were to say one or two things, right? What are, what are one or two strategies as a region we can employ to create greater racial equity, right? So one or two things that would really help in a practical way us move towards the vision that you also eloquently um, outlined, particularly as it relates to housing, but you could comment on anything. Well, on the housing front, inclusionary zoning is key. Um, We have spent the last, I'd say, decade trying to incentivize developers, but we need a state law that mandates whether you're doing commercial, residential, whatever kind of development, you're either, uh, as part of your project, you're gonna have some of your units earmarked as affordable, or you're gonna put money into the affordable housing kitty to help those of us who are doing affordable housing. And over time, as has been um, exhibited um, in various places across the country, what you do is you give more people of modest means more choice as to where and how they live everywhere. Not just one, not just the city of Richmond doing this, It needs to be across the state as a mandate, and it will be a battle to try to get that done. But I believe that that over the next few decades will really change the landscape of opportunity access. Um, I I, have a couple of things. One, I would say that we really need to look at our investments, whether it's housing or a public education system or our transit system as investments in not sticks and bricks, but really investments in people. I mean, that's our most precious resource. And we, if we're not going to invest in people, well, we're not going to spend money on people. We're either going to create opportunities for them to enrich their lives. And I don't mean get rich. I mean, enrich their lives. Or we're going to spend an awful lot of money with all the interventions that come when people live lives without hope, right? Um, and then the other thing I would say is that we we talk about equitable policy development. The mayor even has an equitable housing plan. I think we need to take every public policy and view it through the lens of equity and measure. And so when we have policies that have unintentional consequences, mm-hmm. like gentrification, 
or we have policies that aren't moving the needle, we need to stop. We need to name it with great specificity. And then we need to make course corrections. And I mean, gentrification is a great opportunity. We have seen this before time and again. And if we continue to go into neighborhoods and uh, ignite gentrification without policies that mitigate the harmful consequences, well then shame on us. So that's why I think it's so important not to say, yes, we're viewing things through the equity lens. Well, let's measure through the equity lens and then let's course correct where we need to. Love it. So equity lens, go ahead. Sorry, one, one last thing is, again, going back to the timeline for this change. Hmm. So, so the types of things we're talking about are not one cycle uh, political terms. And so somehow we've got to institutionalize whatever mm -hmm. our priorities are so that um, when new people come into office, which is a good thing for our democracy, th the priorities don't change uh, because this is generational, what we're talking about. And, um, and so we have to stick with it for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that inclusionary zoning, which we need for the whole state to kind of mitigate the, the impacts of redlining and segregation and the lack of affordable housing that we have, not only in Richmond, but really across the state, because we're yeah. a Dillon rural state. So we need that legislation. But I love the racial equity lens, not only now, but how do we institutionalize that? So it's not a LeVar Stoney thing or whoever is next or some city council thing, but it's something that this is what we do in Richmond, this is how we do it um, and how we're gonna do it in perpetuity. Correct. Well, any other last thoughts or something that I didn't ask you that you want to say uh, to our audience or just about the conversation that we've been, been talking about for the past uh, couple of minutes? Despite us you know, having some pretty sobering comments, um, I am hopeful about the future um, having, I think both of us worked in the nonprofit sector, we have to be, um, you know, I have to see the glass half full and um, I am uh, shored up by the caliber of people that we have in our community. Um, we have hard work to do, but I am optimistic that we can make measurable progress together. Lovely. Hopeful as well. I mean, I think hope is a discipline just like you got to get out there and you got to exercise hope is you, you got to build that muscle. Like it's easy for hope to atrophy. The, the, the path of cynicism is a much easier path to take than to kind of have the long view of faith and this kind of daily energy of hope. And it is great that we can surround ourselves and work alongside such talent and such commitment and such passion. Mm -hmm. And so you know, yes, we can sound as if we are frustrated, tired, fatigued, aggravated, and we're all of those True. On, a day, <laughs> on a daily basis. All the things. But, but hope, you know, but we're, we're also hopeful. Mm -hmm. And that's why you do the work. Yeah. Yeah. These are big problems. So you definitely need hope and rejuvenation. And, and like, like you said, it's a discipline, something you have to work on, being intentional about and rejuvenate. Because these are, what do they call them? Um, these are some real big problems, right? Not only in Richmond, but in our nation. So I just wanna thank you for the work that you all are doing in your lives and housing and helping bringing that to the forefront of not only policy in our region, but bricks and mortar in our region so we can have 
more affordable housing um, for folks in our community. So thank y'all. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. This has been the Racial Equity Enrichment web series. Stay tuned, viewers, for more conversations with Richmonders about the vision, their vision for racial equity and how we get there. Thank you. Thank you.